Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast, a show all for women about living your best life and fulfilling your passions from the backcountry to the table. No matter where you are, what hurdles you faced, or where you want to go next, we're right here on this journey with you. It's time to take charge, pave your way, and create success. All right, well, here we go, diving into another episode of the Her Inspired Journey podcast, and I'm excited about this one today. We're going to be talking all about hunting season prep, how to get ready, things to think about, how to make sure you're physically in shape and ready for everything that this season will, of course, throw at you. But before we begin, I want to talk about a couple sponsors and more importantly, just about a couple companies who I can't say enough good things about. First of all, we've got Maven Built, Maven Optics, who, as you know, for the last several years, I've been running their gear and couldn't be more happy with the performance of my glass, the durability. Um, And it's funny because I didn't used to spend a whole lot of time behind my optics. For me, it was just one of those things that was really kind of a pain. I didn't feel like I saw that much else Um, And it just wasn't my go-to, but it's crazy once you put a pair of good binoculars or good spotting scope or good rifle scope for that matter in your hands, how much more likely you are to spend time behind your glass. You're not getting eye fatigue or eye strain or having headaches because you're looking through good quality stuff. And I think another thing for me too, growing up, not having good optics I always shied away from, you know, early morning, late night, foggy, crappy, whatever conditions about using my glass because I felt like it hindered what I would be able to see. And it's not the case with Maven Optics. And for the last four years, I mean, I was blown away when I first put them in my hands and I tested them against everything else I could find, had my buddies, my family, everybody kind of line up and we all just swapped binoculars back and forth. And uh, all of us unanimously chose Maven Built for the price and for the quality of them. So for the last four years, I've been putting them through the ringer and they have held up flawlessly. So I couldn't be more happy. You definitely have to check out what they have going on at mavenbuilt.com. And they do have out the new S2 spotter. It's their ultralight version right at two pounds. Um, It's a 12 to 27, I believe, um, magnification range uh, with a 56 millimeter objective lens. And I'm excited to get my hands on this, although it might be just a little bit because it has been a very popular piece of glass and sold out quite a bit so far. The other company I would like to talk about, of course, is Wilderness Athlete. We've got some big projects going on with them, specifically when it comes to women in the outdoors, supporting you in nutrition and fitness, mindset, motivation, you know, understanding your goals and understanding how to achieve them. I think it's easier more times than not to know where you want to go, but then how the hell you get there is really, really tough. It's hard to define that and figure out where those lines are. So hop over to wildernessathlete.com. I'll also put the link in the show notes so you can find links to Maven Built and also to Wilderness Athlete. But jump into what's going on with them. It's all just information for you, you know, hacks, tips, training tools, and all of that kind of stuff. So today we are going to talk a little bit more about what we're doing there. We're also going to talk about training for the hunt. And I will give you a heads up. I have one hack of a uh, pretty pretty good big big offer for you guys at the end of today's show. 
something I have not done before and there are limited spots. So I really hope to see you all take this opportunity to jump in to make sure that your hunting season is the best one of your entire life. Here we go with today's show. Uh, it feels so good to be back in my office. If you've been keeping up with my Instagram at all, or if you've been on my social media, you will know that I have had one heck of a time dealing with spiders in my house lately. And I was sitting in here in my office right where I am now last week at this time. And I was jamming away on my computer. I was getting done with a bunch of work. And for like 10, 15 minutes over in the corner of my office by my bookshelf, I kept hearing some fidgeting. And I was like, okay, you know, we live in the country. We occasionally get mice in the house. It hasn't happened for a really long time. This would be a really odd way, but it's got to be a mouse. And so I just thought, okay, I'm almost done. I'm trying to stay focused. I'm going to, you know, keep doing what I'm doing. And finally, like 10, 15 minutes later, I go over the corner with my flashlight to figure out like what the hell's making all this noise. And I kid you not, it was a spider, a spider so big, I could hear it crawling around in the corner of my office where I had just spent my whole day. And I was like mortified. I saw it, it saw me, it jumped and you'll, you'll have to go to my social so you can see, go to her outdoor journey on Instagram. And there's a recent picture of there on there of a spider and the spider is sitting next to a dollar bill and it takes up, I don't know, almost half of it. Well, that spider in my office is not the one in the photo. The one in my office that I still have not found is at least twice as big as that spider is in that picture. So anyways, if you want to know what I've been dealing with, head over and check that out at her outdoor journey. But it's crazy because, you know, this time of year living in the country, anywhere you live, I think it's pretty normal to have these spiders come inside. But my mom, I'm like, dude, I'm freaking out because all these spiders in my house, I've caught like eight or nine of them now. And everywhere I go, there's spiders, blah, blah, blah. Well, it'd be one thing if they were like little, but they're not little. And so now I just feel like everywhere I go, there's going to be a spider, you know, like on my hoodie or under my chair. Like right now, I legitimately rubbed peppermint oil all over my feet because uh, the wonderful people of Instagram told me that they don't like peppermint oil. So now I'm like basically bathing in it in hopes that they don't crawl up my legs as I'm recording this podcast. Anyway, that's a little bit about what's going on here. But I'm really, really stoked for today's episode because it's obviously a topic that I really enjoy. It has to do with hunting and it has to do with fitness. And you know, it's it's crazy because I've been looking at my social um, over the last week, week and a half or so, and everybody is just talking about, you know, season op- opener, you know, two weeks away or week and a half or five days out or, you know, depending on where they are in the country. And I'm like, you know, physically I'm, I'm ready because I've done a lot of the preparation, but this year, as opposed to the last several years, I'm so far mentally behind the curve. Um, I haven't done scouting this year. You know, as I've mentioned in other podcasts, the the normal area that I hunt has been completely demolished by uh, the snowstorm that we had. So there's tons of debris and trees and stuff down 
um, you know, in the way of me getting to where I want to go. But then we had the landslides come in. And so it's really just disrupted my flow with getting up there. So I need to find some new spots this year. But I've just been working a ton and, you know, engaging and doing all these ladies events and having a blast. So it hasn't been as much, you know, front of center in mind as it typically is. But I know it is for a lot of you. And the fitness side of this is is really something that I geek out on. So today I really want to talk, talk about that. Um, also talk a little bit about meal planning, scouting, using cameras, uh, the, of course, the, the physical side of it. Um, also want to talk about what happens next with this change of season. We're going from summer to fall. And I know for a lot of my listeners who have you know mentioned to me and who have left comments and reached out, a lot of us will deal with this seasonal change, maybe not as a seasonal depression, but as things happen and as you go from one area of life to the next, getting through that and, and, uh, you know, gracefully making that transition can be kind of difficult. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, But really just diving in, you know, obviously, um, if you listen to the last episode, I believe it was episode 29, Balancing Hunting and Momming with Gina Shively out of Alaska. You know, we talked about some of the upcoming stuff that we have going up to Alaska on that sheep hunt. And I've quickly learned this year how different hunt planning can be. Traditionally, I have always hunted elk and mule deer, blacktail, bear, you know, here in Oregon or in Idaho. So, you know, fairly local to home and in elements that I'm really accustomed to, you know, getting out in eastern or central Oregon or even over here on the west side and, um, you know, running through those kind of hunts to me is it's like that's what I know. But doing something maybe for you that that's listening and you're just really diving into hunting or you're going to be hunting a new species this year, I can definitely relate with you in, in that planning for something that you haven't ever been a part of before can be kind of a daunting task and, you know, having resources to figure out what you need, what you'll have, you know, what you can experience, what you can expect, um, the elements, you know, if you're going to be able to have water that you can, you know, re-up on and how much food you need to bring, how much, you know, weight you're going to aim to carry and all that kind of stuff. It can be really difficult to figure that out. So we're also going to attach a, um, a hunting pack list uh, in this episode, you can go over to the show notes to pick that up so you can get a general idea of things that you should be bringing and things that are also staples. So in the episode with Krista Magnuson, That Hike Life, and I do not remember the episode number off the top of my head, maybe 26 or 27, um, we talked about how to prepare for a hike. And a lot of those things outside of maybe your kill kit, you know, knives, game bags, um, some extended stay kind of stuff are going to be staples in a hunting pack too. So the things that you take on a normal like lengthy hike are likely going to transfer over into your pack for a hunt. So we'll also attach a link to Krista's list for hiking just so you all have that as well. But diving into the meat and potatoes of hunting, for me, my specialty is figuring out what my body needs to be able to do how to do it safely, and how to do it in a way that, you know, like getting through day one or two of season is great. And we'd all love to anticipate that our tag is notched by day two. But 
typically that's not the scenario. So making sure that our bodies are ready for the physical demand of not just day one and two and three, but four and five. And, you know, you may be somebody that's going out and you're hunting weekends. Maybe you're taking Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or maybe you have the ability to take the time off. And so you're taking, you know, maybe a week or 10 days or something, and you're going to be able to get after it. Your body isn't necessarily used to doing something for a 10 day stretch. You know, even if you're in a really active time of life, most of us are in a place where we're getting these quick little bursts, you know, we we might have two or three days that are really busy, but somewhere in there we get good sleep, we're probably pretty comfortable, we're getting a good shower, we're eating good meals. So how your body responds to not only the, the the physical aspect, but then the recovery aspect when you're not in a place that's super comfy, when you're working hard, when you're getting outside of that comfort zone is going to be totally different. And the way that I personally like to approach training for season is I try to think about where exactly I'm going to be. What kind of conditions, what kind of terrain, what is the elevation or um, expected temperature is going to be, you know, if I'm going to be somewhere that, you know, like right now, the start of archery elk on the 24th here in Oregon, um, of August is going to be hot as blazes. And it typically is it's, you know, I've had some seasons where it's 95 degrees and you're like questioning your whole entire life as to why you're out there running through the woods, sweating your butt off, you know, in 95 degree temperatures. Um, it can also be the opposite side of that where, you know, it's it's four degrees and you're freezing. And and so just thinking about what kind of elements you're going to be in will help you better prepare physically. You know, that also means you have to think more about your food and your water and your, your clothing and your layers and your shelter and all that kind of stuff. But speaking just on the physical elements to this, when I'm thinking about how I'm going to prepare for a hunt, I'm going to break down where I'm going to be, how long I'm going to be there, how much weight I'll be packing, and my expected expenditure. Like what is the volume of my physical outlet going to be? Um, So looking at this hunt in Alaska, we're going to be gone uh, about 11 days on the hunt, 10 to 11, something like that. Uh, We have no dropped food, no dropped gear. We're packing our own water, you know, all of our shelter, all all of anything that we're going to be packing. So my pack weight's probably going to be somewhere around 55 pounds. Um, We're expected to go 15 to 20 miles in. So that automatically tells me I'm going to need to make sure that my endurance is good. I also know that we're going to be in sheep country, thick sheep country, you know, our way, our means of getting into where we're going to be hunting up on, you know, these mountainsides is going to be through a lot of brush. So, you know, things like working on your balance, um, working on single leg strength, working on your core, working on simple things like posture, um, making sure that you're fine tuning things. And I think it's easy for people to get into this rhythm of, you know, if you are being consistent, a lot of times that consistency will either be two things. It's likely not a combination, but the combination is where the sweet spot. So more than likely, you're either doing tons of cardio and hitting a little bit of weights, or you're doing a lot of weights and you're really slacking on your cardio. Those are the two main things that I see happen, either cardio junkies or weight junkies. And, you know, that that combination of having a little bit of both and the right balance is what will solidify your physical output when you get up to the mountain. So 
Um, just recently, I wrote an article for Wilderness Athlete, and it was all talking about how to increase your endurance without like long, lengthy sessions. Which, when you think about stamina and endurance, you think, well, I need the duration aspect. Like, obviously, the volume of my workout is important, but a huge priority is going to be making sure that I've got time on my feet, time with my pack. You know, it's going to be in that longevity of that training session. But the problem is, I think it's hard for people to do that. Obviously, if you've got a full-time life and job and all that kind of stuff, it's going to be hard to do that in a way that will actually help build the endurance. So again, we go back to that. If you're going on a 10-day hunt, but you only go hard at it and do really long sessions on the weekends, maybe two or three days in a row if you're lucky, you really miss what your body needs as a whole. So building endurance doesn't just happen in like these two or three day spouts. It will happen overall with a big training picture. I typically like to put on my training calendar two or three days where I'm going to do weights and cardio in the same day and in the same session. And a common question that I get asked is, can I break that up to where I'm doing my cardio in one segment and then I'm lifting at another time? Yes, you can, but if you really want to maximize your bang for your buck when you're in the gym or your bang for your buck during a training session, I would highly recommend combining the two. And I like to do something that I call uh, pre-exhausted cardio, where I might warm up with a little bit of cardio and I might, you know, do some separate cardio bouts here and there. But if I'm going to be really working on my endurance or how I train for train to hunt, I will hit the gym, I'll go through my warm-up, I'll hit the foam roller, I'll make sure my body is really feeling warm and feeling mobile and my range of motion is going to be good. And then I go and hit the weights. So I will do anywhere between probably 18 and 25 reps per exercise. And I'll sometimes I'll even go for time and I just want to get a lot of volume in. So I'm not going super heavy. I'm going to pick a weight or a, a movement that will allow me to get about 18 to 25 reps in before I'm I'm pretty much maxed out or I'm, I'm, I'm ready to tap out or take a break. So I'll do those reps and then I want to choose between two and four movements per body part. It depends on the body part. Some of, some of us need different things. So figuring out your balance, you know, a lot of women are quad dominant. So if you're really strong in your quads, it's still going to be something that you work on, but you might work on more posterior chain, glutes, hamstrings, core, stability, that kind of stuff. Um, so I will choose those two to four exercises per body part, and I'll hit 18 to 25 reps, and I'll try to do four to six sets of those. So I'm getting a lot of volume in. I'm getting a lot of reps in. My my downtime, my rest time is going to be pretty minimal. Sometimes I'll even do supersets, which is choosing, you know, two or more exercises to go back to back to back without taking rest. For me, I get a lot of efficiency out of my time training if I do that, whether I'm at home or in the gym. If I can just stack back to back movements on top of one another, I'm getting that effect of having my heart rate stay up. I'm also saving time by not taking a bunch of rests. But what I'm doing is I'm also increasing my overall stamina. So if your main goal is calorie burn, which we're not necessarily talking about right now, yes, you'll get calorie burn, but you might not get 
uh, as much as doing like high intensity interval training, which I'm going to talk about here in just a minute. But specifically for endurance, I'm going to choose about 18 to 25 reps. Some people will do a little bit less. Some people say, you know, anything over 12 is good. I personally, I'm going for like endurance. I want to be able to have, you know, a substantial amount of of leg power of, you know, waking up day after day and feeling good. And for me, that's increasing that rep load just a little bit between 18 to 25. Um, I'm going to be choosing, you know, two to four movements per body part, and I'm going to be doing about four to six sets of each. So after I've done my complete workout, you know, lower body, glutes, my, my core, um, I'm going to go and then I'm going to hit my cardio. Now, a small disclaimer, if you're trying to implement this methodology that I use is for one, don't do this if you're a brand new beginner or you're coming back off of an injury. DM me if that's the case and I'll help give you some better parameters. But this is for somebody who has a good fitness base established and who is, you know, closing in on filling in the gaps and, and hitting that final goal. So not if you're a beginner necessarily. There are some other parameters that I'm happy to talk about for that. Um, if you want to implement something like this, but you are maybe not as seasoned in the gym or you're not feeling super strong yet, I'd suggest getting about a 15 to 20 minute cardio session after your warm up. So after you're warm and you've done your foam rolling, um, then hit that 15 to 20 minutes and make it an interval style. So not an interval where you're going hard and then you're stopping, but you're going hard and then you're going a little less hard. So maybe from 75% to, to 50 or 40%. So kind of find that range. And I like to mimic or visualize when I'm doing that, even if I'm on a stair climber, an elliptical, a treadmill, a rowing machine, whatever. I like to mimic like this, this uh, cadence of a hill climb, you know, maybe just like these rolling hills where you're going hard and then you're kind of taking, taking it down a little bit. So um, if you are more of a beginner, start with that. Then go to your weights. Uh, make your focus between 15 and 18 reps. You know, choose one to two movements per body part and then hit, you know, somewhere around you know three to four sets of each of those things. Um, and then finish your workout with another bout of cardio. So 15 to 20 minutes, something like that, where you're getting the effect of working on tired legs. And that's one of the reasons that I choose pre-exhausted cardio and why it's always worked so well for me is because my body is already physically tapped by the time I'm done in the weight room or out in my backyard doing lunges and, you know, step ups and squats and deadlifts. Once I'm done doing that and I put on my pack and I go to do, do my hike or I get on a treadmill, and I go to do my, you know, hill climb. My body is already, it already feels like I've already done the hike. My body already feels like I've already climbed, you know, 1,500 feet of elevation. So now I have the effect of getting a little bit more juice in the tank. So over time, what this does is increases your lactate threshold. So your lactic acid buildup is byproducts of, you know, energy production and waste that kind of sits there. And that's one of the reasons that your muscles get sore. It also happens from, you know, breakdown and small tears within the muscles that have to be repaired. But over time, increasing your endurance is increasing the ability to withstand that 
to that point where that lactic acid and byproduct starts to build up. So you'll notice that as you do this, you know, down the road, it gets a little bit easier. You may notice, though, that you're a little bit more sore as you start to implement this into your training. And the one like caveat I would say to this type of consistent training, you know, three to three days a week or so, is that you're going to increase your protein intake. These kind of workouts for me leave me like so hungry. <laughs> it, and, and you might notice that as well. Like you're going to increase your metabolism by doing these kind of workouts. You're going to increase your caloric need by doing these kind of workouts. Um, and your body's going to get a lot more strong and a lot more efficient. So you'll fill that requirement of calories where you might be, you know, having cravings or you might need an extra midday, midday snack. But the one thing, even if you are adding those little things in, add a little bit more protein in your recovery. So I've talked about protein, you know, intake and the, the you know, guidelines for that a bit before. But again, a general rule of thumb is about a gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. And the reason that I say ideal body weight is if you're 200 pounds, but your ideal weight is 175, we don't need to account for what you want to that weight that you want to lose. You want to account for where you want to be because that's what you're trying to establish is the caloric needs for that type of a body size and body composition. Um, going back into the training schedule, three days a week of my pre-exhausted cardio where I'm doing my weights and then I'm doing my cardio, or if you're a beginner, you're doing a little cardio first, a little bit of weights and a little bit of cardio to follow. And then I like to choose two to three, three days a week to do some high intensity interval training. And you've heard of this, I'm sure quite a bit. It is always you know, talked about if you want to burn calories, if you want to lose weight, if you want to drop body fat, you know, high intensity interval training or HIIT training is one of the go-tos. And it definitely is, <clears throat> excuse me, but you want to think about when you're doing this HIIT training, doing it in a way or choosing movements that is going to help increase your overall fitness when you're on the mountain. So if you're going on a hike up in elevation, you know, 5,500, 7,500 feet, and you live at 1,000 now, you're going to be wanting to do things that will increase your leg strength, increase your glute strength, increase your hip strength. Um, you're going to be carrying a pack. Most of us in our daily lives don't walk around you know, or hike or spend a bunch of time wearing a weighted pack. So think about what that weight volume is going to be while you're on your hike. Obviously, you want a heavy pack when you're coming out because you want that sucker loaded up. But think about what kind of weight you're going to be carrying on that hike or on that hunt and and practice that during your training. So think about how much you want to be, you know, using your legs, how much you'll want to be keeping your core strong, and then implement those specific exercises within that HIIT training session. I typically will choose between six and 10 movements in a HIIT scenario training session. So I might stagger back and forth between lower body, upper body, core. But for the most part, when it comes down to brass tacks and I'm getting ready for this hunt, I'm going to choose a lot of lower body and core movements. I don't neglect my upper body, but 
unless I'm packing out or I'm putting my pack on or I'm using trekking poles or, you know, I'm trying to have stability for my bow, I'm not hiking with my hands. So my main focus is going to be my legs and my core. The two things that are going to get my butt off the mountain when I need to. So I will do, you know, maybe quads and then something with glutes. And then I'll do something with hamstrings. And then I might do some core. So when you're choosing these movements, think about, again, what you're going to be doing. And then incorporate some of those movements into this HIT program. Now, when you're doing a high-intensity interval training session, you can think about it a couple of ways. You can think about it in reps or in total duration. I try to do total duration and I'll choose like, okay, I'm going to do this HIT program for 25 to 30 minutes and then I'll work off of a time basis. So 20 to 30 seconds, 100% effort, and then I get 10 to 20 seconds of complete rest. I'm not, you know, going at a slower pace. I'm completely rested. I'm catching my breath. I'm getting ready for the next round and the next movement to start. So you can think about that as time if you'd like. You can also look at it in reps. The one thing I will say about doing things based off of reps is it's really important to focus first on a weak side. All of us have it. Some of us are a little bit more exaggerated than others and our weaknesses or any of deficiencies that we might have as far as muscle structure goes. But if you know that your left side is weaker than your right or your right is weaker than your left, start on your weaker side and perform as many reps as your goal is on that side. If your goal is 15 and you hit 12, you're going to do 12 on the other side. Your other side might have more juice in the tank or you might be able to do more. But in order to keep that imbalance from becoming greater, you need to try to mimic that same side until you can get your weak side a little bit more strong. The other thing I want to say is I know it can be so tempting and I'm like raising both hands right now, but to do a whole bunch of cardio in your preseason game, it's really, really easy to just go on hikes, go hit the trail, go on a run, you know, maybe hit the bike a little bit. It's easy to do those things, but trust me when I say that if you want to increase your endurance, if you want to be standing at the bottom of the hill, looking at the top, knowing that you can do it, it might not be easy, but you know you'll get up there. If you don't want to be the last one up the mountain, you have to incorporate some of the weights within your training program. If you're hitting all cardio, you also run the risk of burning the, the muscle that you already have on your body as the fuel for that. So any long duration or sustained type of cardio um, is, is going to put you at risk for burning that lean body tissue. If you're going to do cardio and you don't want to incorporate the weights, do as I suggested and add in some, you know, plyometrics, you know, calisthenics. So you're using your own body weight or you're doing some, some jump, you know, jump type movements, dynamic movements. Um, if you're going to skip the weights, your best bet is to incorporate doing that hit style training with those kind of body movements. Use body resistance as your leveraging force. Um, because trust me when I say, you know, the, the, the phrase skinny fat, a lot of times is this direct, re, you know, representation of too much cardio, you know, that body composition where somebody might look fit, 
Um, but their ability to, you know, carry themselves in a pack up the mountain or carry themselves in a pack up the mountain and then a full loaded pack off the mountain isn't going to happen if you're not spending some time trying to build that muscle. Muscle management is extremely important. The other thing I want to touch on when it comes to this is if you can incorporate sessions in your backyard or in a range or somewhere that's suited for shooting where you can bring your bow and arrow with you, you can launch some, you can send some from, you know, various positions, kneeling, standing, completely seated, you know, kneeling and then standing. If you can shoot during your workout and try some various shots, you're going to be a lot more ready for that moment of truth when it happens. If you've been to one of my archery fitness seminars, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is a methodology that I preach all of the time and something that I truly think is a vital step in preparing. And again, I know not everybody has the ability to go and shoot during their workout. Obviously, there's lots of gyms where you can't take your bow, which is super unfortunate. But if you can spend time shooting during your workout, if you can't, I want to highly encourage you to spend time shooting. It's not the easiest thing. And I know for many people, depending on where you live and what your circumstances are, getting shots in isn't always very uh, easy to do. You know, sometimes it cannot be convenient. You can live in a place where you can't shoot, but prioritize adequate amount of time to go and shoot your bow in preparation for season. Because even if your physical ability is on point, but you get to season and you realize, man, I'm super fit, but I haven't been shooting. And so I'm not confident with my bow. And then that opportunity presents itself and you're not ready. You're going to be kicking yourself in the pants until next year. So definitely make the time for that. And I know an area that I've struggled with in the past is after getting sighted in for broadheads and Lord, we all know that they say shoots just like a field point. Well, I will be the first to publicly say not very many of them come close to shooting just like your field point. So after you get sighted in for broadheads, it can be extremely difficult to grab a different arrow or to send some field points. I know not everybody wants to keep sharpening their broadheads after they've sighted in. Um, but make the time to get the reps in because even if you're going to be shooting consistently in a group to the right or to the left or low or high or whatever the case may be, you're going to be shooting consistent arrows because you're sighted in for broadheads. Where they hit the target, if it's not your intended position, doesn't matter. It's the repetition. It's the motor control. It's that neurotransmitter in your brain that gets to keep practicing that entire process. So give yourself the opportunity to keep those things fresh in your mind, to go through your complete draw cycle, and to give your body the opportunity to keep that practice in because you're going to feel so much more confident when you get to the hunt. And as we all know, in any area of life, when we're more confident, we're more likely to be successful. I think you guys get the point of the training and what you need to do, but if not, as always, please send me a message. I will link to my email in the show notes as well if you have any questions or if you're needing some training advice or if you're looking for some coaching, I'd be happy to help. I also want to talk just briefly about scouting, meal planning, and cameras. These are topics that I've been wanting to talk about as a standalone, but I have not made the time to do so yet or found a guest 
that I feel like is going to bring you guys all of the information and all of the, the details on those topics. But thinking about scouting and cameras, those are two areas that, again, I did not grow up doing. It was we hunted the same area over and over and over. We always went, camped in the same spot, did the same things. So there was no scouting per se that we needed to do at the time. Same goes for cameras. We just, I guess we're living on God's creation, doing things that were way behind the times. And up until about four years ago, I never used cameras and I really didn't scout. I might call a biologist, which is still a really great tool to have. Um, and I'd rack their brains and pick their brains. And I look at, you know, statistics from years before. But as far as like boots on the ground or doing any kind of digital scouting, I did not do that. But I will be honest with you, using a mapping system has completely changed how I approach my hunting. It also changes how I look at different scenarios. And when I'm in the in the woods, boots on the ground, or I'm in pursuit, I can always pull up Onyx Maps and know exactly my best approach based on, you know, topo layers, based on terrain features, based on any other um, coordinates or anything that I've marked in the past. And one of my favorite things to do with my Onyx Maps is when I'm in an area, I typically will hunt the same kind of you know, general areas. I might go into little different basins or hit different draws, but I typically am going into the same kind of zones or units. Um, and what I like to do when I'm in there is, <laughs> I always said I should be in CSI. I should be, you know, some sort of like an investigator or something, but I'll take my Onyx maps and I will, if I get into an area where there's a whole bunch of, you know, new rubs, or I can see that there's, you know, a few years of rubs, you know, in this spe specific area and I'm seeing sign, I'll mark it all on my, on my onyx. I'll just drop a waypoint. I'll, you know, sometimes that they have like an appropriate tag where you can actually put the picture on the waypoint. If not, I'll just say, you know, recent rubs recent beds, recent, whatever the case may be. And then once I get back or I'm, you know, at night thinking about the next day, what I want to do, I'll pull that up and use that as like my picture. I can put, this is where they fed. This is where they're bedding. This is where they're rubbing. You know, this is where most of this, the sign was. And you can almost get like this bird's eye view of what's going on. And a lot of times you'll see that triangle from bedding to feeding to transition back to, you know, where they're going to bed again, you know, where they're watering, where their wallows are, um, where you've seen them, where you've heard them, where you've smelt them, those kind of things. I think if you are really wanting to put all of the things together and you're wanting to set yourself up in a better position for knowing how to get in close to the animals, I would highly suggest using some sort of a mapping system. I know that there's several out there. I work with Onyx Maps. They've evolved so much over the last four and a half years. It's been absolutely incredible. They are probably, I think they're my number two app, like a suggested app on my phone because I use them so often. I use them for various different things. But most of the time, like I said, I'm just using to mark waypoints. What I've seen, heard, smelt, or been a part of. I want to be able to go back, even if it's next year, and have some sort of a history that I know. I'm not just calling a biologist or I'm not just getting information from a buddy. I know firsthand because I'm marking those and I can track those things on there. It also will allow me, I don't know if you're like me, but I used to like look at an area and I'm just like, you look at the map or, you know, you look at the satellite um, layer and you're just like, 
oh my gosh, like I, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't know how to, have I been there before? What's that? If there's not roads, if you're just walking through a beating brush, it can be really hard. So it's also nice to be able to leave little markings. Sometimes I'll say things like, great hidden meadow, you know, something that you might not be able to see on a satellite image of this mapping system is that there's actually a big, you know, clear cut under the timberline, you know, here for us in Western Oregon, everything looks like it's closed in. But once you get there, and you're actually standing on the ground, you're like, wow, this is a great you know, feeding area, or this is where they've been bedding, or I can tell that there's a lot of mature bucks or bulls in this area because of the rubs. So it's nice to be able to do that. I also mark my cameras on there, which is something for me when I first got into using cameras, I was like, oh, you know, it won't be that big of a deal. I'm going to put one here and here. I'll remember where they are. And the tricky thing about that is once you maybe get a couple more cameras or you're using, you know, you're going into a few different spots, it can be hard sometimes to like, remember where the hell those cameras are. You're like, oh, I thought it was right here, you know, but but it's not there. So I'll mark where my cameras are. This is pretty standard information, but if it's something that you're not used to, it can be easy to overlook that or just think, oh, I'll remember. But once you get 901 things on your plate, it might not be as easy to remember. So definitely try to do that. And something in using cameras that I got really excited about when I heard, I cannot remember the man's name. We were at the... Um, Salt Lake City ISE, I want to say his name is Zach. I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes. But this guy was doing a seminar on using cameras and how we use his cameras to hunt. And there's a lot of different tips, and I am not an expert in this area. So I will leave this to somebody who is at some point to be a guest on the show. But he was talking about when he puts his cameras up, he will put, he'll get a, a branch or he'll get a long stick and he'll take some sort of a string. It can be some sort of like a yarn. It can just be something super duper light. And he ties it to one end of the string and he puts it up, you know, in front of his camera to where his camera's facing it. He sticks it in the ground and he takes the end of that string and he kind of frazzles it up and he kind of balls it up. So it's just kind of, you know, it'll, it'll catch wind. And he says he puts it in there so that when he gets some game on his camera, something that sets it off, he'll be able to tell if there's a strong wind direction in which way it's coming from. And it's really nice because for years I've watched game and I'm like, I, I see what time they're coming in and kind of what way they're facing, but what way are they going? What way are they coming from? Where are they walking into the wind, you know? So how are they, how are they doing this? And it's nice to be able to put a little bit more, um, you know, information, it's nice to gather a little bit more information, I should say, when you're getting pictures of them on what they're likely to be doing and what their habits are based on that wind. Another tip that you can use for cameras in like hunting blacktail here in Western Oregon, I've been chasing a buck for my entire life, it seems like, but it's only been four seasons. Anyways, long story short, he is almost always nocturnal. He is super sneaky. He is the most dominant buck in this area. He is like my nightmares, right? And I cannot for the life of me in this jungle of a forest that I'm in figure out where he's coming from. He'll leave this pattern on my camera every two hours like like religion. This freaking buck comes by 
at 9 p.m., at 11 p.m., at midnight, at 2. I mean, it can just, at 5, you know, at 6, and then he's gone. And where he comes in and what he does is besides me. Okay, that was a little bit of a rant. But so taking a camera and trying to walk it back with that animal. So if you see that you have your camera up here and he's coming in from the right every time, move another camera or move that camera until you're figuring out, okay, this is where he came in. This is where he split. Okay, now I'm going to move it back a little bit more and see if I can get a little bit more direction from him. And over time, you can build a little bit more of those patterns up. I get a little bit crazy about this kind of stuff. And what I like to do in my perfect world 100% of the time is to get a notebook, my camera notebook, and write down specifically if it's an animal that you're targeting or a bear or an elk or whatever the case may be, write down his patterns, write down the times that you're seeing him, write down the days to see if you can figure out, is he coming through every two days? Is he coming through every week and a half? Is it always at 7 p.m.? Like try to get a, a more of a visual visualization to that just like with using the the mapping systems and leaving those waypoints on your onyx maps like all over the place then you can step back it's like sometimes it's hard to see what's right in front of you because you're like where am I in space like where is that compared to where this was where is that compared to where the water was but if you can put it all down on paper and if you can start kind of building your own like mind map to where these animals are, I think you'll have a lot more success. Well, those are just some of my tips for today on those two topics. I hope that you found a lot of good information when it comes to training and how to do it in a way that will get your body ready for the mountain. I want to say, though, on top of having a little extra protein when you start building endurance, please make sure that you're taking time to recover. It's really easy once you start feeling good, once you start seeing results, once you're motivated because season's only two weeks away, to not take rest days, to not, you know, warm up your body, to not cool down your body, to not foam roll, to not stretch, but make sure that you're getting as much time loving your body and nurturing your body and getting good recovery in so that you don't face injuries. You do not want to be injured. You probably have been injured at some point in your life. If not, knock on wood. That's a wonderful thing. But just make sure that you're taking time to nurture the abilities that you have and not take for granted how good your body feels every day. Now, I told you today I'm going to do something that I've never done, and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited because the opportunity to work with you is my dream come true. And I don't say that in a way that sounds as corny as it just came out, but truly, my passion is in working with those who are inspired to be their best, to hunt hard, to stay longer, to notch tags, to feel good, to be inspired, to have motivation. Like that is what truly makes me happy. That's what keeps me driven to work with other men and women is seeing other people's success. So today I'm offering an, a limited amount of spots in my online coaching program. This is something that you can do from the gym, from your house, from your backyard. It's all going to be based around getting you ready for hunting season, whether you're a rifle hunter or an archery hunter, or you are somebody who just aspires to be a hunter next year. This is a program that will keep you rolling, feeling strong. It takes into account your goals, what you want to do and how you want to feel, but it is going on a massive freaking sale exclusive to this podcast. So you can only get this deal until the spots are filled. It's going to be $37 a month 
This is going to be, again, for a training program that you can do anywhere with me as your personal coach. You will use the code GOTIME, G-O-T-I-M-E, at checkout, which is going to save you a crap load of money, and it's going to get you into my coaching program. That will be your monthly rate, so once you subscribe to this, you will have that rate until I no longer exist in this world. So I hope that you jump into that. If you have any questions for me, you can certainly send me a message. The link is in the show notes, but there is an unlimited excuse me, a limited amount of spots, which there could be unlimited, that would be fantastic, but there has to be bandwidth in my life somewhere. Anyways, I hope that you've enjoyed today's show. Again, you can jump over to my website, the link is here in my show notes, and you can use the time go time, the code go time, can you tell it's time for me to wrap this up and have lunch? to save on your coaching program with me. All right, you guys, it is almost time for season to kick off. So make sure you're taking every day and every opportunity to kick some ass, to feel your best and to work hard towards your goals. Until next time. Well, ladies, that does it for this show for today. I hope that you found some inspiration, some good advice, and definitely some encouragement to take with you on the rest of your week. I'm already looking forward to coming back next week and giving you some more insight, some inspiration, and some tips on how to navigate your best life. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Your feedback is so important to me. I would love to know the questions that you have, any topics or ideas, and your feedback. You are so valuable to me, and I really appreciate you taking the time to leave the review and subscribe to the show. See you next week on Her Inspired Journey.